This is Unfiltered, episode 330 for October 7th, 2020. And I love seeing him do that victory lap in that limo. Thank God. You know why? I knew that meant he has to be okay. Not the people who were in there with him, PPE up to their nose. Now they got a quarantine. He doesn't give a damn. And now I don't have to feign any extra measure of compassion. Because he went out there. Whatever happens now is on him. The White House is a cluster. He returned to a cluster and took his mask off. Hello, friends, and welcome to 330 of the People's History Podcast. Wow, I'm setting up for the VP debate tonight, and I know what you're thinking. Uh, It's going to be a stinker. But I disagree. If you can't make it live tonight to the Unfilter VP debate stream, you might check out our Twitch channel if you're hearing this within a couple of weeks of releasing. And if you're a patron, I got you covered. We'll uh, have a download link available for you. But I actually think that this uh, this debate could be kind of important. I mean, I don't expect anything incredible to happen. I mean, they're both pretty well-established politicians. They know their talking points. I'd be surprised if either got really all that rattled. But, and I mean this kind of seriously, I mean, you never know. One of these could end up being the actual president. If Trump gets into office, if he gets reelected... You know, they're going to fight that thing tooth and nail, try to go for impeachment again, could end up with Pence. And if Biden gets in office, well, even if he makes it the full four years, he probably won't run again. And then Kamala will run. So let's get these suckers on the record now. But that's tonight. Let's let's start with Trump getting covid. And this clip, well, this clip will bring you up on the reaction since uh, our stream, which came out recently, if you didn't see the reaction stream to Trump getting COVID. This is essentially what took place after we got off the air. The president's positive test comes after months of a dangerous gamble, downplaying COVID-19. Is this a moment of reckoning for the president? It has to be a humiliation for this president who's been making jokes about the mask that Joe Biden wears. The president bears uh, so much responsibility for this, given the way he has talked about masks. I look at this as a drunk driver who injured himself in a wreck and killed the oncoming sober driver. Let's just stop there. How callous. How how callous to take something like this. It's It robs the original thing of its tragedy and meaning for so many people. It's like all of the comparisons to Mussolini or Hitler. In a way, because of the ridiculousness of this comparison, it sort of it robs Hitler a bit of like, the shared memory of how awful he was. By comparing something to Hitler or Mussolini or a drunk driver, it's so over the top that it robs it robs the comparison of its true depth, and it it hollows out the conversation. His response has been homicidal negligence, recklessness, negligence, ignorance. So recklessness. And the denialism. We're going to talk about recklessness here in a little bit. We'll get to that. But first, I think we'll talk about what's actually been going on. I think we all knew Trump's stay at Walter Reed was was going to be a little strange, but we just never knew what to expect. Tonight, in a surprise move, the president taking his motorcade outside Walter Reed Medical Center. 
You could see him in a mask, waving to supporters who have been lined up for hours, wishing him well. In a new video saying he's learned a lot about the virus during his experience at the hospital. This is the real school. This isn't the let's read the book school. And I get it and I understand it. And it's a very interesting thing. I'm going to be letting you know about it. Earlier, the doctor responsible for the president's health walking up to the microphones to give an update on his patient and update his own statements. Dr. Sean Conley explaining why he intentionally withheld information from the American people, saying he didn't want to raise alarm. I was trying to reflect the, the, uh, the upbeat attitude that the team, the president, that his course of illness has had. Um, didn't want to give uh, any uh, any information that might uh, steer the uh, the course of illness in another direction. In other words, if I told you things were bad, then President Trump would get very upset and stressed, and there would have that would have negative impacts <laughs> on his his situation. So to keep the patient stressed down, I'm giving it to you with a positive spin. Steer the uh, the course of illness in another direction, um, and in doing so, uh, you know, it came off. Uh, that we were trying to hide something, which wasn't necessarily true. No. Um, and uh, so have, here I have it. Yeah. Now, the, we'll get to the mixed messaging, but just a, a, an aside, there was a moment while he was in Walter Reed that everybody had a shocked reaction to, and that was when he jumped in the SUV and took a little joyride because there was a ton of Trump supporters out front of the hospital. And so he wanted to go out and wave to his supporters. And there was so many different takes on on this. But my absolute favorite was just the raw reaction by the BBC, who just who just can't figure out how to process the Trump presidency. Hello and welcome. There have been extraordinary scenes outside the military hospital in Maryland in the United States where President Trump is being treated for coronavirus. Mr. Trump temporarily left the hospital in a presidential convoy and waved to supporters who'd gathered outside. The BBC's North America editor, John Sopel, was right there and witnessed the moment. He was leaving hospital, but I don't think he's going back to the White House. It was the most extraordinary scene. And you can hear the noise now. They have closed the road. Police suddenly fanned out and cleared this huge highway behind us. And I'm thinking, well, who would you clear the highway for? The First Lady? And then we see the convoy that is familiar if you live in Washington, that is the President's convoy, driving incredibly slowly, first down the other side of the road, and then you can suddenly see all these people going mad. It's obvious that it's the President. And then he goes down about half a mile, does a U-turn, and the convoy comes back in this direction, and about six feet away from me, the president is waving and waving again and goes down the line very, very slowly. And it was the most unbelievable thing I've seen. Everyone in all the cars were wearing masks, but the president who was diagnosed positive with coronavirus 36 hours ago has done a drive past. Who would have thought that? Quite extraordinary, quite the most unbelievable thing. As soon as it was announced that Trump tested positive, one of my very first thoughts was, how does a celebrity president handle this? You know, he's so aware of his image, his looks, how he sits. You know, his experience in TV production, I think, has made him acutely aware of how things play on camera. And that drive around... <laughs> was so obvious. It's so blatant. Like, you know, his, his holding the Bible in front of the church or, or going up to the top of the stairs when he returns to the White House and posing for pictures or this drive around. It's so obvious. Yet for some people, it really plays. 
you know, and it plays really well. For some, it really gets them upset. But it, it, it permeates everything about this situation, including how the doctors talk about it. And when you start getting mixed messages from the medical team, it does raise some red flags. But the mixed messages from physicians and the administration raise questions about the true nature of his condition. Today, Conley telling reporters he did administer oxygen to the president at the White House on Friday for about an hour after his blood oxygen dropped and he had a high fever. Sources tell us Trump had trouble breathing. I was concerned for possible rapid progression of the illness. I recommended the president we try some supplemental oxygen see how he'd respond. That admission coming after he made false statements while evading repeated questions just 24 hours earlier. Yesterday and today he was not on oxygen. Thursday no oxygen, none at this moment. Yeah, and yesterday with the team uh, while, while we were all here he was not on oxygen. Conley has already backtracked on the timing of the president's diagnosis and adding to the confusion minutes after he delivered a rosy assessment of Trump's condition. We remain cautiously optimistic um, but he's doing great. Why does it matter? Why does it matter? Why does it matter? Well, actually, it kind of does matter um, because when he got oxygen, what his viral load is, all of that kind of gives us an indication of when he got sick because some of us are still waiting to see if the other foot's going to drop with this illness because usually there is the rough patch hits about a week after you've been tested um, positive. You can be infected before you register as positive. Then you get tested positive, And then usually the rough shit's about a week after that where you start needing the oxygen. So it's kind of weird that he needed the oxygen almost right away, which might imply he may have had it for about a week. And we don't really know. And the ramifications of that are pretty significant. And that's why it kind of matters that the doctor is being a little evasive. Here's some more of that audio. Tell us when he had his last negative test. Was it Thursday? Was it Wednesday? When, do you remember when he had his last negative test? I, I don't want to go backwards. Contact uh, tracing for people who are around him. To I understand. The contact him. tracing, uh, as I understand it, is being done. It is not. Uh, I'm not involved in that. Um, now, the contact tracing is being half-assed, too. And I think that might be another data point here, is it would indicate when he was infected and when he started spreading it. And they don't want the headline that the president is a super spreader. So when was his last negative test and what was his viral load? I know everyone wants that. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't have his viral load. Um, those are some of the diagnostics that we're sending out uh, that will really tell us when it's safe for him to get back out and around people. Last negative test was any abnormal test, any or any of his lab tests abnormal. Uh, I'm not again. Uh, HIPAA kind of precludes me from going into too much depth and things that uh, that you know I'm not liberty or doesn't wish uh, to be discussed. And that is a fair point. Uh, HIPAA is very restrict. That is the uh, health patients' privacy rights here in the states. For those of you not familiar, there was a moment during all of this when Trump was airlifted from the White House to Walter Reed and he landed and got into the hospital and there was, I don't know, I want to say it was for a solid five, six hours. There was a shift in the tone of the media. I'm not, I'm not kidding you, man. It made me emotional in a way where I, I felt nostalgic, like I had returned to a simpler time. The tone of the media shifted all of a sudden and the only way I can explain it, it's like all of a sudden they had reverence for the office and a solemn tone 
for the people's elected president getting sick. And maybe they just realized their gravy train could possibly be coming to an end. Because I know internally the media is assuming that even if Trump loses the election, they're still going to be able to milk him for news for a while. But don't kid yourself. Donald Trump is the single best thing that happened to the news business probably since classified ads came along for newspapers. I mean, it's, it's really been a boom. And it is a gravy train. I don't know if maybe the end of that gravy train made them change their tone or maybe, maybe all of this bullshit that they've been piling on, all of this dog attacking that they've been doing nonstop since before he was elected, maybe they know all of it's not really 100% true, that they're amping it all up. I can't really explain it other than I just can tell you the tone was weird, man. It was like I was in another reality. And I, I could have played. I, I just have so many clips of the media's reaction. I just didn't want to inundate you with all of them. So I got one that I thought just really shows you the scale of this. This is Rachel Meadow, who encouraged everybody to show sympathy and compared that Trump going into the hospital with COVID like a friend getting lung cancer. And never even tried to quit, despite knowing the risks of lung cancer from smoking. And then that person who you know got lung cancer. How do you react to that? Right? Well, part of the way you react is that you understand why they likely got it. Right? Your instinct might even be to blame them for getting it. Go right ahead. Right? Enjoy that schadenfreude. But also, you're a human being in this situation. If your friend has lung cancer now, regardless of what you feel about he or she, how, how he or she got it, right? Once you find out that they're ill, you wish and hope and try to save them, right? You get them into treatment. You help them try to survive it. You move heaven and earth to cure them. That's how we do as humans, right? That's how this works. Understanding how we got here and now coping with what we have to do to try to survive it are two things that we can keep in our heads at the same time and two things that we can keep in our soul at the same time. That's how this works too, right? Two things we can keep in our head at the same time. I tell you, I haven't heard that for four years from the media. I've been saying it on this show almost on a weekly basis. It was, it was the strangest thing. And then it was like it all changed on a dime when Trump announced he would be leaving Walter Reed. Uh, let me go to Peter Alexander, who is on site at Walter Reed Medical Center. Peter, we had heard that perhaps the president would be discharged today. Now it appears from his tweet that he will be. Yeah, that's exactly right. And what's notable is that this announcement came from, I guess, what you would call the patient in chief and not from his doctors. The announcement behind him. Yeah, that was funny that Trump announced it, not the doctors. Trump was in charge of all of the communications via his Twitter account behind this uh, news actor, Peter Alexander is a Trump rally of supporters that have collected outside the hospital. And the news didn't mention it, but it might be worth noting that the man up on stage that's, reading, that's leading the rally is a black man. And there seems to be a pretty good mix of characters in this group that's formed outside the hospital. And they never really mentioned it. They never really gave it much coverage. And so they went from being very reverent, being very somber, to right back into attack mode. And maybe the worst was the one I played for our intro clip. It's uh, Mr. Kuman, Chris Cuomo, who thanks God he doesn't have to feign care about Trump anymore. There he is, hair blown majestically, reshooting the scene for his own ad. I hold rallies 
and I tell you to ignore masks, and I rip mine off as I vanquish the virus because I am a leader. Fear not, COVID. What a bunch of bullshit. Go yeah, CNN's just swearing now. Ever since the shit show comment, they're just dropping S-bombs like it's no big deal. Fear not, COVID. What a bunch of bullshit. Going back to the White House, if you want to know the reality, the truth, okay, the virus is the truth. You've got a president who was a drunk driver who is pushing others to drive drunk. Another use of the drunk driving analogy. Again, you got to imagine there's people in Kuman's audience who have lost a loved one to drunk driving. Or, God forbid, they've took the life of someone when they were drunk driving, and now they're sitting here watching this. And they're watching this news actor use this horrible, tragic type of event as a comparison to what Trump is doing. And at the same time, if the media hasn't gotten the message yet that Trump isn't the moral leader, he's not the president that sets the example for the entire nation, if they haven't gotten that idea through their thick, rich heads yet, then nothing can help them. They keep going back to this. They love to pretend like he is this horrible person that nobody can follow and then at the same time hold him up as an example that everyone follows. It's, it's cognitive dissonance depending on which argument they want to make. This is the truth. You've got a president who was a drunk driver who is pushing others to drive drunk. That's what he is. Do I want to see a drunk driver get hurt? Hell no. But I worry more about the people he hits. And I love seeing him do that victory lap in that limo. Thank God. You know why? I knew that meant he has to be okay. Not the people who were in there with him, PPE up to their nose. Now they got a quarantine. He doesn't give a damn. And now... I don't have to feign any extra measure of compassion. Imagine, imagine this person saying this on CNN. Because he went out there. Whatever happens now is on him. The White House is a cluster. He returned to a cluster and took his mask off. That is covidiacy. He's a covidiot. <gasps> You're disrespecting the president. No, he disrespected the presidency. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and of course, instead of focusing on the recovery, which may or may not still be in progress, very likely he's still going to be in the woods for a while. Instead of focusing on how they're doing this, the the kind of fast turnaround. I mean, it was very fast turnaround from Walter Reed. There's so many other aspects of Trump getting covid that they could talk about. But they went for the lazy route. They went for the laziest play possible and just universally freaked out about the man taking his mask off outside on the balcony of the White House. This morning, the fact is denial won't help you. Makeup won't help you. And based on what we've just heard and seen, the president won't help you. Now, masks will help you. But the president made a grand theatrical gesture of whipping his off at his Sunset Boulevard return to the White House. Imagine every time they tell you uh, that masks will help or every time they say wear your mask or every time they say wash your hand. I invite you to mentally add children to it. Wash your hands, children. Wear your mask, children. I mean, shut up. Who are you to tell me? 
I know to wear a mask. I don't need your sanctimonious ass telling me to wash my hands and wear a mask like I'm a four-year-old. It's it's remarkable that they don't realize how arrogant that plays. This morning, the fact is, denial won't help you. Makeup won't help you. And based on what we've just heard and seen, the president won't help you. What is he a ho- what is he hoping to accomplish? by going on the air, playing these drums in the background. Also, by the way, for extra dramatic effect, the camera is zooming in on him as he says, as he says, the president won't help you. I'm not shitting you. You can go look this clip up. It's remarkable. Now masks will help you, but the president made a grand theatrical gesture of whipping his off at his Sunset Boulevard return to the White House. A reckless return to the White House for President Trump. While likely contagious, Trump still removing his mask on the White House balcony to pose for photos in his highly produced homecoming before going inside. The only thing I heard was one of the tweets saying that, you know, don't be so concerned about all this, essentially. There's a lot to be concerned about. 210,000 people have died. The president, in that Sunset Boulevard gesture, whipped his mask off in front of the American people on the nightly news last night. Now, they're so serious about this. This is a um, five-by screen where there's five anchors up on the screen, and they're all frowning, shaking their heads in disgust. And it's you see, it's so the president is so reckless, the president is so dangerous, that they don't even want to show the footage of Trump taking his mask off because it might kill someone. So, as a doctor whose job it is, you know, take it off. Please, don't even put it on the screen. Please take it off because that's going to kill people. <laughs> this guy, this guy, right? This is how this is what they focus on. And this is why they're losing the American people. This is why the messaging around this whole thing is ridiculous. And this is how Trump dominates the narrative is by leading them around by the collar with this kind of stuff. So let's bring you up to date because there is some actual news buried in all of this. Number one, I'm a believer that the president probably had it for almost a week before they said anything. Uh, It sounds like he may have even been issued a positive test, but then they wanted to retest to be sure because, you know, got to double check that one. And while they were still double checking, he continued to travel. There's there's if you look at the timeline here, there's real questions that should be asked. And this kind of brings us up to date uh, this next clip on what is current as of this morning, this this morning right now that I'm recording this episode. Good morning, I'm Diane Macedo. Thanks for streaming with us. In today's update, the White House has become a coronavirus hotspot. At least 24 people linked to President Trump have tested positive for COVID-19. The latest, top aide Stephen Miller, who was part of a debate prep session with the president last week. President Trump continues to recover in isolation. A White House spokesman this morning said that the president worked from the residence yesterday, but that safety precautions are underway in the event he decides to work from the Oval Office. We've seen some pictures of guys in hazmat suits, essentially hazmat spraying down areas of the West Wing. And you you look at this and one of the narratives, and I think one that the, the Biden campaign has been hitting pretty hard is, well, this is all fine and good for Trump. Trump gets cutting edge medicine. He's the president. Tonight, even the president's own doctors concede they've taken a fast-track approach in treating the president, involving some higher-risk medications. We're in a bit of uncharted territory when it comes to a patient that received the therapies he has so early in the course. 
At Walter Reed on Friday, the president was given the highest dose of an experimental antibody cocktail designed to kickstart the body's defenses. So far, there are only results on 275 trial patients. Mr. Trump received that antibody treatment under a compassionate use agreement with the company. I can assure you that um, there, there was, there's nothing to the notion that uh, any special relationships or anything like this. Uh, we've reached out certainly to the Biden team uh, to offer to offer um, our antibody cocktail to them. It's also worth noting that President Trump has been receiving and will continue to receive the very best care in the world at Walter Reed, including an experimental drug therapy that is not available to most Americans. It's actually starting to become available. Uh, it's it's only recently kind of been used for COVID, but the idea is used for other types of viral infections. You kind of you kind of picture it as a cocktail that gloms on to the virus and and reduces its ability to infect. It kind of acts like an antibody before the body is producing its antibody. And this whole thing is a very produced message. Um, it's you see they're not really coming out with everything, but it's a it's a weird mix of drugs. Um, like, check out this list here. President Trump's current treatment plan includes taking zinc, vitamin D, famotidine, which is used to treat heartburn, and also melatonin. He is also getting an experimental antibody cocktail. CBS 2's Dr. Max Gomez explains how it works. The antibody cocktail Regen-CoV-2 is still experimental, but the company's CEO says it's shown promise in clinical trials. White House doctors requested and were given compassionate use authorization by the Food and Drug Administration to administer a dose to President Trump. The antibodies are manufactured in a laboratory and given by intravenous infusion. It's a cocktail of two monoclonal antibodies um, uh, that work together to, to really glom onto that virus and effectu effectually make it uh, impossible for the virus to get in your cells. We're just trying to mimic the natural immune system. Aside from his age and gender, the president has other COVID health risks. His last physical showed a body fat composition, or BMI, of 30.5, just inside the obese category. It's funny because Trump always says he's not a drugs guy. No, I don't drink. I don't do any drugs. Never done any drugs. But then when he gets sick with the Rona, or even when he was taking hydroxy, which funny enough, that hasn't come up, has it? They didn't give him that, did they? No, uh, no hydroxychloroquine. Corli oh boy, Cor hydroxychloroquine. Boy, I can't even say it out loud. I guess um, that's what I get for trying to say it after I haven't said it for weeks. Corliquine. I can say it in my head. You know what I mean? Like I can think it. I can say it in my head correctly, but then my dumb mouth just doesn't say it correctly. But it it hasn't come up. Obviously, I haven't heard it very. I haven't heard the term very recently. Sort of been quiet on that one. Uh, but you, did you hear something in there? You may have heard they're giving them a drug for heartburn. Okay. So they're loading them up with all these drugs, one of which is a steroid. That's why he's getting the drug for heartburn, because the steroid causes heartburn. So for a guy that doesn't take any drugs ever, he sure is like, give me all the drugs when he goes into the hospital. Give them all to me and give them to me all at once. Uh, and it's a pretty potent steroid that he's on now. I want to bring in our CBS News medical contributor, Dr. David Agus. Dr. David Agus, dexamethasone uh, prescribed for the president. Also, two instances of a drop in transient oxygen saturation, but never below 90%. What do you make of those two facts? Well, 
they had started him on famotidine on Friday, which is a drug that protects the stomach in case you use dexamethasone. Dexamethasone is a very potent steroid that can have brain effects. There can be a manic behavior associated with dexamethasone. So it's certainly important that we understand that. Dexamethasone is a very strong medicine. When used early in this infection, it can actually make it worse by blocking immune function. When used Another indication that he may have had this for about a week or so is they're giving him the steroid now. What the doctor here is saying is that if you take the steroid early on in infection, it can actually make the infection worse. Now, they could be also treating him with other mitigating things like they have the antibody cocktail and other things that may maybe change that. But generally, the doctors don't prescribe the steroid until you're kind of in the recovery phase. You're past the worst of it. So that way, inflammation and whatnot doesn't make the infection worse. Important that we understand that. Dexamethasone is a very strong medicine. When used early in this infection, it can actually make it worse by blocking immune function. When used late, it can treat uh, a significant pulmonary uh, uh, inflammation, which I assume he has. They had mentioned, or the doctor had mentioned, that he had imaging of the chest, and that showed inflammation, I assume. He said it was the usual expected findings, which it doesn't give us any quantification is it 10%, 20%, 50%, 50% of the lungs that are involved? We don't know. But certainly now he is on the strongest medicines that have been shown to have benefit, which are monoclonal antibodies, remdesivir, and dexamethasone. Yeah, nice. Plus, don't forget the vitamin D and the uh, melatonin. <laughs> it's just uh, it's quite the cocktail they're giving him. For Mr. I don't do any drugs ever. I don't know. I just think that's kind of interesting. The steroid, though, you know, that could be scary. Maybe, maybe Trump's gone loony and showing us that no low is too low during an election season. Joe Scary Scarborough, Scaremongers on Morning Joe. Perhaps it was the steroids talking. And uh, I'm not joking, actually. Perhaps it was the steroids talking. Studies have shown that one out of three patients, uh, COVID patients, have impaired mental capabilities for quite some time. We've this mix of steroids and and, and other treatments. uh, And there's one warning after another on all of those drugs that it could cause mental impairment. And here whole cocktail of drugs that that the president has been taking, you know, raising the question of whether or not that has some sort of impact on his decision making. I I just I just wonder uh, because I think any doctor that understands the impact of COVID on the mental health of patients, the drugs that he's taken with the steroids that he's on, any, anybody. But have you heard any discussion uh, from Republican staffers, off the record from Republican legislators, uh, from, from any Republicans in Washington, D.C., that they are at least concerned about a president acting irrationally? He goes on and on. And on. For another couple of minutes, I have cuts of it. And I think it's just, it's kind of naive and insulting to his literal team of doctors who would be monitoring him. Um, and, and it's so anti-science, which is ironic because, again, they often will say, follow the science, follow the experts, and then they'll get on Trump for that. But then when he takes a mask off outdoors with no one around him, with a breeze being kicked up by a helicopter which is probably, as far as the science goes, as safe as it's going to get, they freak out. 
Or when it's a team of doctors that are carefully watching him and monitoring him 24-7 and issuing him drugs, they just disregard all those experts' opinion. (laughs) And the real story here, I feel like, in an election year at least, is the embarrassment that the Republican Party is sustaining right now as nearly 20 people around Trump have gotten this thing. And um, at least as I record this right now, I can't think of a Democratic senator or governor or anyone high up in the party who has been confirmed positive. I can't think of a single one. Biden got tested. He came back negative. So this optic, the optics around this look really bad for Trump and his party in terms of how they've been treating the coronavirus. Like maybe we got a little lazy on the Trump side, maybe a little complacent on the Trump side. And no matter how much they scramble and claim he went to school, it doesn't really look that bad, does it? I mean, it doesn't really look that good, does it? It looks bad. There's no real great way to spin this. When you have Pentagon officials who are quarantining, you have top administration officials who have gotten sick, you have a president with a murky timeline. This is going to serve to really change the conversation in this election. What a, what a wild, wild ride. And one thing that's a little unfortunate is because you guys know I've been a big champion of rapid testing. And this has all gotten caught up with Trump now. Anything in this virus that's been associated with Trump, it gets shit on. And unfortunately, rapid testing is taking some of that ancillary Trump hate. And I think it's kind of shameful that the media is essentially sowing doubt about rapid testing because I think it's key to actually getting things rolling again. This morning, there are concerns that the White House has been using rapid COVID testing without considering its own FDA guidelines. Now, remember, we've talked about these FDA guidelines. Essentially, the FDA guidelines are a numbers game. And the rapid testing is sensitive, especially during your infectious period. That's how it caught all these freaking people. It just catches you during your most infectious period, which is really, if you think about it, if you're testing every day, that's the kind of test you want. That's how you want a rapid test to work. Its type of sensitivity is an advantage when used properly. But instead, it's kind of getting spun as, well, the Trump administration doesn't even follow their own FDA and they use this dangerous rapid testing. The White House has been using rapid COVID testing without considering its own FDA guidelines. At least 12 people who attended President Trump's Supreme Court announcement at the White House less than two weeks ago have now tested positive for the virus. Among them, the University of Notre Dame's president, who described the testing that day in a letter to the student body, writing in part... A medical professional took me to an exam room to obtain a nasal swab for a rapid COVID-19 test. I was then directed to a room with others, all fully masked, until we were notified that we had all tested negative and were told it was safe to remove our masks. But safe is not a word most health experts would use. Do you have concerns that there may have been a false sense of security given to the White House with the results of this test? Too often people take a negative test as They don't have COVID, they do not need masking, and they do not have to change their behavior. That is not how these tests should be used. The Abbott rapid ID test used by the White House was given emergency authorization back in March with an announcement from the president. We have something from Abbott Labs, which is right here, and that's a five-minute test, 
highly accurate. Like other rapid or point-of-care tests, it is given by a doctor, and the results are determined on the spot instead of being sent off to a lab, much like a common flu test. For now, it is mostly used in clinics and doctor's offices. There is hope that it may eventually be used more widely to help businesses and schools open safely. But the rapid tests are less sensitive than the tests sent to labs, which can take days to get a result. The test that you do right then and there does not detect down to the lower levels of virus that many people have or that you have earlier in your disease. And that creates an opportunity for the virus to slip in. Now, the problem with the traditional testing that they're comparing this to is the turnaround time. Even at, I mean, let's say best. It's three days, right? At best. But it's often a lot longer than that. So by the time you get your results, it's sort of irrelevant. Because if you are positive, well, then you've been exposing people for three days at the best. Possibly a week or more. That's why rapid testing matters so much because you could test positive and then keep testing yourself every single day and then you'll get a result eventually where you're no longer positive and then it's a clear indicator when you're looking good like maybe maybe you're over this thing and you follow the you can or, or vice versa you could be testing negative over and over and over again and maybe you, maybe one day you test negative but you actually have gotten it and a couple of days go by. Well, even if three or four days go by and then it's enough viral load for this thing to detect it, you're probably still finding out about it faster than if you did the traditional test method. On top of that, you can test the people around you. So think of a school environment or an office environment or a hospital where they have the staff to run these things already. They can catch an outbreak so much faster this way. So I, I just wish they could... They could be clear about the nuances and about how both types of testing have advantages. And that creates an opportunity for the virus to slip in. In a statement, Abbott tells NBC News its rapid ID test is 95 percent accurate within seven days of getting symptoms. But in May, the FDA issued a warning saying anyone getting a negative result from that test should consider confirming it with a more sensitive test. So, Steph, what is the federal government going to do? Are they going to do anything to address those issues with that rapid test? Well, Hoda, the White House hasn't gotten back to us with a response on, on our request. But the, the government has already given $1.5 billion to NIH to research better testing. And it is spending $760 million on a new test developed by Abbott that is cheaper. But just like the other tests, the federal government, the FDA, says that a negative result does not rule out possible infection. Well, that sounds like a really useful test all over then, doesn't it? Oh, we're doomed, friends. We're doomed. Well, anyways, if you want to hear more of my take on how this could impact the election or whatnot, uh, go catch the reaction stream that we did. It's about 30 minutes or so long. Pretty quick listen. Um, but I'll just, you know, we're not going to know. We're going to be watching this. We'll see how it impacts the debates, all of it. We'll see if Trump gets worse or if he just continues to get better. They've released a statement at the White House. His doctor released a statement saying he has been symptom free for 24 hours. Of course, if you're loaded up on all that stuff, you might as well be. He, Trump is, you know, he's such a he's such a goof. Like, uh, I mean, really, he could just if he tweeted half as much, he'd get in so much less trouble. He tweeted that he feels like better than he has in 20 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, load me up on steroids. I might, too. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. There is in all of this, though. 
some news that has gotten really almost no play, albeit for one network. So I want to talk about that. Let's get off of COVID. But first, thank you to our patrons at patreon.com slash unfilter. You make this show possible. I appreciate you. Keep your eyes out for the Patreon page because I will have the VP debate available for you to watch, stream, or download when uh, it is posted. So thank you for your support over there. This show is 100% listener funded. Do it on my own, completely solo. Um, Although since going independent with JB, I have been using the JB Studio again, but production, editing, all that research, it's all on me. Well, and with support from the patrons, patreon.com slash unfilter. When the eagle comes, man, jeez, when the eagle arrives, it is it is loud. All right, so the news that uh, I think probably should get more attention, um, I mean, I, I admit we're all a little tired of the topic, but it did dominate our lives for three years, and it feels like a massive declassification like this would get a little more attention, and it has on... One network, the Fox News Network. The director of national intelligence has declassified documents today revealing former CIA director John Brennan briefed then-President Obama on Hillary Clinton's purported plan to smear then-candidate Trump in 2016, adding to what the national intelligence director has already declassified on this issue and raising more questions tonight about how much more of this will come out before Election Day. Senior political correspondent Mike Emanuel is following the story tonight in Washington. Oh, I suspect more will come out, or at least they hope more will come out. So what is Brett Baer talking about here? Because <laughs> it's kind of hard to follow uh, because I didn't set it up so well. But what Brett Baer is talking about is John Brennan. You know, he ran the CIA, part of the DNI, involved in the Russiagate stuff from the very beginning. They have released heavily redacted memos. And in these memos, which I will have a link to in the show notes if you would like to see it, in these memos, it clearly shows that Hillary Clinton has approved essentially a political attack campaign tying Trump to Russia, that she was doing this as a political move, and it's in Brennan's notes when he was at the White House. So they all knew from the very beginning that Russia Gate was a political hoax. And now we actually have it in the man's handwriting himself. Good evening, Mike. Brett, good evening. These are handwritten notes from former CIA director John Brennan, written according to a source familiar after Brennan briefed President Obama. At one point, Brennan writes, quote, approved by Hillary Clinton, a proposal from one of her foreign policy advisors to vilify Donald Trump by stirring up a scandal claiming interference by the Russian security service. The notes say on 28 of July, in the margin, Brennan writes POTUS, but that section of the notes are redacted. Then it says any evidence of collaboration between Trump campaign and Russia. The remainder of the notes are redacted. 
except in the margins where it says J.C., Dennis, and Susan. That could be referring to former FBI Director James Comey, former Obama Chief of Staff Dennis McDonough, and former National Security Advisor Susan Rice. The CIA sent a memo to former FBI Director James Comey and Peter Strzok writing, quote, the following information is provided for the exclusive use of your bureau for background investigative action or lead pur purposes as appropriate. One example the CIA includes, quote, an exchange redacted discussing U.S. presidential candidate Hillary Clinton's approval of a plan concerning U.S. presidential candidate Donald Trump and Russian hackers hampering U.S. elections as a means of distracting the public from the, her use of a private email server. I want to be clear. This is an internal CIA memo from September of 2016, friends. They knew during the 2016 election that all of the Russia stuff was bullshit. This is an internal memo. I'm going to read it for you again. An exchange redacted discussing U.S. presidential candidate Donald Trump and Russia hackers hampering U.S. elections as a means of distracting the public from her use of a private email server. At a hearing before the Senate Judiciary Committee last week, Comey was pressed on what he did with information provided by the CIA. Did you open an investigation? I don't know what that refers to. As I said earlier, that does not ring any bells with me when I read that. You, you did not receive any investigative referral of this nature? I don't remember it. I don't, I don't remember receiving anything that's described in that letter. It's funny how meticulous Comey, who had such incredible foresight, he knew he needed to lead certain Trump campaign officials into a trap. He knew he needed to document every moment of his interactions with Donald Trump, bring those memos home in a very particular way, and share those memos with his lawyers that somehow made it into the New York Times. He foresaw all of the complexities of Russia and the Trump connection, all of it. He saw all of it. In September of 2016, he took meticulous notes and steps and prepared everything to save the country from Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. But yet, when it comes to the details of how the investigation got kicked off, who referred what, what was shared with who, well, that, gosh, you know what? Gosh darn it, y'all, he just can't remember. That does not ring any bells with me when I read that. You, you did not receive any investigative referral of this nature? I don't remember it. I don't, I don't remember receiving anything that's described in that letter. And that, right there, is the way a politician lies under oath. Hillary Clinton spokesman Nick Merrill has called the latest revelation, quote, baseless BS. <laughs> a traditional Clinton dismissal and denial. Kind of felt... Like mom's cooking. <laughs> that one came out. <laughs> and of course, um, I, I guess I was a little unfair when I said that Fox News was the only network to cover this. Uh, ABC gave a little bit of coverage on their Good Morning America program where they mocked and dismissed this. Yeah, he was all over the map. And it was part to us to see of this this tweet storm, about 40 tweets he sent out in a two hour period last night on all kinds of subjects. Yeah, as you said, all over the map and by our count over the course of the day, 65 some odd tweets, everything from Hillary Clinton to Russia, blasting his own FDA. Now, you know this, we've covered this president for a long time. He's someone who craves the spotlight. He just is in isolation. That could be at play here. Uh, but George Joe Biden responded by telling the president, get off Twitter. Get off Twitter. That was late. Yeah, get off Twitter. Stop tweeting about Russia and Hillary Clinton. That is the totality of any other network's coverage that I can find so far.
of memos by the director of the CIA that state that Hillary Clinton arranged this Russia thing to go after Trump to distract from her emails. It's there in John Brennan's notes. I mean, it'd be one thing if it was an FBI agent that was texting another FBI agent lover and saying things like insurance policy. Sure, that's just two low-level FBI people. This is freaking John Brennan. And it's getting no play. And then they mock him. They mock him and say, well, you know, he's missing the limelight, so he's tweeting a whole bunch. Other times he tweets, and it apparently changes national policy. But other times when he tweets, oh, it's just him, and he just wants attention. We don't actually need to talk about the content. No, 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 no. It's so frustrating because it dominated our political discussion. It kicked off a whole new generation of red fear. It's still being used to push people's buttons. It'll still get used for this election for Russian bots who bought a couple of grand worth of Facebook ads. Give me a break. We will never be free of one of the greatest conspiracy theories that has bestruck the nation since Trump was elected. It is just as dangerous as any other kind of conspiracy theory that they will just decry and say is horrible like 9-11 truthers. But yet, people that go around believing that Vladimir Putin pulled the strings of Donald Trump and his campaign, they're perfectly rational. Despite this information coming out. It's so frustrating when you're watching from an observer's standpoint and just seeing people intentionally mislead themselves. You, I'm, I'm just, I watch people walk around like zombies taking programming and they want it. They want to believe because it fits a narrative that they need to believe because they've bought so heavily into. Who can you tell it gets me fired up? It really does. I, I just, I'd love to see Russiagate burn. Because it was a trick played on us by a losing candidate, and we bought it, and we hook, line, and sinker bought it, and it ran the narrative for so long. And I would love to see it exposed for what it is, which was a hack political try to make Donald Trump seem like he was the puppet of Putin, and it probably set back national relations 30 years. Two extremely powerful nations who should be working together more at their throats than ever. <sighs> And it gets no play. And because Fox News is the only network that played it, it'll actually feed into the dismissal. People will be more, well, yeah, that's more Fox News propaganda for you. Yeah, if I believed everything Fox News said, <laughs> right? <laughs> Fucking Fox. And they'll dismiss it. They don't have to deal with it because Fox talked about it. So they don't have to acknowledge it. <sighs> Moving on. Moving on. Also, really just as upsetting is the total failed state of the stimulus talks. Nancy Pelosi blew it back in April when she didn't push for local funding. I called it then. I continue to call it. I said then that the Republicans would have no motivation to negotiate further. And then we get up to the election time and then the Democrats would have no motivation to negotiate further because it would hurt Trump. And that is exactly where we are at. And then Trump returning from the hospital as if waking from a stupor for the last month decides to wade into the middle of the stimulus debate and apparently order his troops to stand down. And stand President by. Trump, meantime, appears to be governing by tweet from the White House residence, where he is still being treated for coronavirus. Tonight, the president is ordering his Treasury secretary and Republican lawmakers to stop negotiating with Democrats on a multi-trillion dollar stimulus bill designed to help millions of Americans who are out of work due to COVID-19. The president says he'll return to the table if he's reelected. Here's Nancy Pelosi's reaction. 
it's a, it's most unfortunate. And we will have a stimulus bill and he won't win the election. So we don't have to wait for that to happen. Just think of what we've been through in the past two and a half weeks, losing our beloved Ruth Bader Ginsburg and then moving quickly to, uh, to a, a nomination so that they could overturn the Affordable Care Act. Then the book talking about how the president knew this was airborne and wanted to keep it from the public. And then the taxes, the president's taxes. You noticed how we are dominated by a bunch of old people who can't even string together complete sentences. Trump is this way. Pelosi is this way. Biden is this way. They dominate the airwaves and they can't even talk straight. Like this, this uh, shorthand for removing the penalty for not having Obamacare is now just used as just completely repealing the Affordable Care Act. Well, is it? Is it? The Affordable Care Act's been around for a while now and guys like me who work their asses off and still don't have health coverage, end up paying a penalty into that system. And as somebody who has to pay two grand or whatever the hell it is, three grand, for not for the privilege of not having health care, I got to tell you, I'm kind of a fan of the individual mandate fucking off because that's a lot of money that I could be investing into health care or savings. And we've been around for a while now, and it doesn't seem like it's going to break the system. The medical companies are still getting paid. The insurance companies are rich than ever. And it doesn't seem like the people who don't pay their individual mandate are breaking the system. So I hate this shorthand. And here you have her going on and on about how horrible things are and how you never know what's going to happen next. But the reality is she blew this thing. The Repub- She negotiated in a way that gave the Republicans all the leverage. She did it early, thinking maybe naively that they would just concede on local funding. But of course they held that line because they're under the belief that all the Democrat-run cities have done their own damage and they ought to just bail themselves out. So screw anyone who lives in a Democrat city. Screw them, right? Doesn't matter that they're some of the highest populated cities. So that's another reason why they're running deficit. No, that doesn't matter. Screw them. It's all about politics, which exposes how the Republicans don't give a shit about the people and how the Democrats are ineffective. And it's just laid out here for all of us, and there's no stimulus. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the Federal Reserve is urgently asking for action by Congress to prevent massive economic long-term damage. You should look that up. They have been urging Congress for weeks to take immediate action to avoid long-term damage to this country. Yeah, but they can't be bothered. Can't be bothered. I'll play a little bit more of a response. And then all of a sudden, he's um, uh, infected by the coronavirus and the president's in the hospital. Our president, we prayed for him. And then t- today, comes out of the hosp- yesterday, comes out of the hospital and says, uh, turn off the negotiations. So you never know what's going to be coming next. Four weeks from now, we're going to have a new president of the United States. And we have to make sure that happens. That's not how it works. You can elect someone in a few weeks, but they don't take office until January. And that is too long to wait. This idea that if Biden wins, all of a sudden a stimulus package is going to go through is stupid. It's crap. But the the most ridiculous and, and perhaps boneheaded move I've ever seen Trump make was owning this. He could have just shut up. He had shut up in a in a strange departure from his tactics. He shut the hell up. And wasn't saying anything about this. So he wasn't taking any of the heat. It was all on the Congress critters. But then, like a moron, 
he goes on Twitter and and owns the collapse of the talks. By telling everybody to stop, he's now taking responsibility for the stimulus talks coming to a halt. And then he tries to back out a little bit of it. The whole timeline is kind of ridiculous. I'll, I'll Actually, I took note of it. So Trump orders the pullout of all stimulus talks at 2.48 p.m. yesterday, citing nearly one trillion differences between the GOP and the Democratic negotiation stances, which I'd talked about before. We knew this was an issue for some time. Then at 9.54 p.m. the same day, he suggested that Congress pass a $25 billion package for airline payroll support and $135 billion for Paycheck Protection Program for small businesses, and then a separate $1,200 stimulus check for Americans, essentially breaking them all out into individual bills. That's a great strategy. Maybe you've even heard of that strategy before because it's actually one that Nancy Pelosi put forward in a bit, at least for the airline part, um, earlier. It was her suggestion to split it up and just attack one individually. (laughs) So if Trump had pushed for this a month ago when this needed to happen and and instructed his Congress critters to do it this way, it probably would have had a chance of being successful and it would have been wrapped up and taken care of before the Supreme Court nominee thing came along. But now, now we're dealing with three factors. The fact that these stimulus talks have collapsed, but we still need something done or else we could be looking at a 10-year recession. Number two... The Supreme Court nominee things going on while people are coming down with COVID like crazy. And number three is they're in recess right now. So nothing's happening right now. They're they're gone until like the middle of October. Just chilling. So nothing's going to happen. And when they come back, they'll probably just deal with the Supreme Court stuff. Screw the people. Which reminds us all that the Democrats and the Republicans both suck eggs. Now, depending on who wins the election, Biden or Trump, It's going to mean a different outcome for tech companies specifically. And it could be a really bad outcome for tech companies if the Republicans win some dominance. If they run the ticket and Trump is elected again, we could even be looking at serious antitrust threats coming at particularly Google. So back to big tech, obviously uh, tech companies facing antitrust scrutiny. You're calling for new regulation. This is Senator, this is CNBC interviewing Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee. At the same time, um, the Senate Commerce Committee has called on the CEOs of Facebook, Google and Twitter to testify. What's the status of that? What do you want to hear from them? Um, We will consider issuing subpoenas for them to appear. Uh, We have to make certain that the the internet, if they're going to say they are the public square, then we need to make certain that there is a good cop on the beat. Oh, a new talking point. Facebook, Google, Apple, Twitter, they represent the public square, the modern public square of the 21st century. And we need a good cop on the beat. It's really Google, though, who seems to be getting the most attention right now when it comes to antitrust. I imagine Apple and others are on that list, along with Amazon and Facebook. But Google seems to be the one that gets name dropped the most. Now, we've been waiting for the Department of Justice to file a big antitrust case against Google. I'm curious, do you think Google stands out more from the rest as, um, you know, significantly more problematic? One of the things that happens with Google is the way they utilize their access on search. Yeah, she goes on quite a bit about that. 
from how they leverage it for advertising to how they leverage it to figure out what products are successful and then copy that. She's got a whole scheme that she's ready to attribute to them. I don't think it's good for them if the Republicans win again. I'm curious to know what you think about it, though. Should the government step in and break up big tech? Should they come in and change the dynamics as they were? Another common one is that Amazon watches resellers, and when something's popular and doing well, they rip it off. And they point to that as another issue for antitrust. I argue that these modern platforms don't really apply the same – Don't really the rules don't really apply to them the same way they used to. It's like a – it's almost like a new frontier of digital sales. And I wonder if antitrust is too much of a uh, bludgeon tool to actually get the job done here. But I did note that Facebook seemed to do some bending over backwards to make the Senate happy. The Senate passed a non-binding resolution recently condemning QAnon. How the hell has the 5G-hating, Trump-loving group QAnon bubbled up to the Senate? But not only that, to apparently appease their upcoming dictators, Facebook is not having any of the QAnon posts and is taking aggressive action. To that QAnon crackdown, Facebook banning pages devoted to the French conspiracy movement and the FBI warning about a potential domestic terror threat. Rebecca Jarvis joins us now with more. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, Michael. This is one of the most drastic policy changes Facebook has made in its history. The social network banning any groups, pages, or Instagram accounts linked to QAnon. One of the most drastic changes in Facebook history? Really? And this is a group, a movement that started about three years ago based on the conspiracy theory that a cabal of Satan-worshipping, child sex-trafficking, child-eating politicians and Democrats and A-list celebrities Democrats are trying to secretly overthrow President Trump. Well, <laughs> some of it. I mean, they're not eating children. They're, I think if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong. Hate to be wrong on these kinds of things, <laughs> but I think what they're doing is drinking the blood of children like to get like their youth or whatever. So that way they can live forever. So you have people like Joe Biden who can run for president until their 80s. <laughs> and A-list celebrities are trying to secretly overthrow President Trump. After starting three years ago, it was mostly on the fringe of the Internet, but now it has only grown in its popularity on social media during the pandemic. You have a number of Republican uh, people running for public office who have expressed support. The president has said that while he doesn't know much about the group, he appreciates the fact that they appear to support him. You know, it's all in the eye of the beholder. Um, it's funny when when you are part of the mainstream, when your idea is a mainstream idea, or an establishment idea is not a conspiracy theory. And so Russiagate isn't considered a conspiracy theory. Collusion with Vladimir Putin, that's not a conspiracy. And I watched um, I watched all of the internet detectives on Twitter and Reddit as they dissected Trump breathing after he came up a flight of stairs and the man has COVID, right? He gets to the top of the stairs of the White House and there's all of these pictures where they're like zooming in on him and all of this analysis that's happening in the Twitter threads, all of this detective work that is laying out these thick, luscious, dramatic conspiracies that weave all of these points in time together to fit a great narrative. And I'm sitting there going, 
Do none of you fools realize that this is what a conspiracy theory is? You are painting a conspiracy theory right now, but it's totally okay because your guy's Biden. What kind of it's all in the eye of the beholder. And so for some reason, QAnon showed up on the radar. And you got to wonder if the reason why QAnon and Q is on the radar to begin with, which is almost kind of a laughable thing, is simply because they just they love Trump. He's like an action movie hero to them. And that just drives the establishment crazy. Much about the group. He appreciates the fact that they appear to support him. And now the FBI has recently deemed QAnon as a potential terrorist threat. Not not anti not not Antifa. No, no. No, but QAnon, that's that's a terrorist threat. Has recently deemed QAnon as a potential terrorist threat. How many QAnon groups have burned down buildings? How many QAnon groups have killed little kids and then hid them in a taco shop? How many how many QAnon groups have set up a demilitarized zone in the middle of a city and and claimed it to be their own nation? How many? How many? What's that? Oh, none. Facebook earlier this summer tried to introduce measures that would stop some of the spread of what it deemed the most violent uh, measures coming out of QAnon memes and manipulated videos expressing violence. But oh, God, not memes. Now they are taking this new step, hoping to squash it. And Rebecca, what is Facebook saying about why they're taking this step? Michael, Facebook says that while a number of QAnon posts may not directly promote violence. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I forgot about this part of the clip. Well, it doesn't. OK, I got to play it again. It's so good. Facebook says that while a number of QAnon posts may not directly promote violence, that they believe they are linked to different forms of real world harm. They say this will take time, that they will continue to do this in the coming days and weeks, but that users, individuals who post about QAnon, they'll be able to continue that, Michael. Oh, no calling for riots and protests and burning down buildings. That's fine. Keep posting that. In fact, go set up your group for a donation on Facebook. They'd be happy to take a cut on that one. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to wrap it up here. I could keep going. There's so much going on, so I'm doing more live streams. When something really crazy happens, I'm thinking instead of trying to do multiple shows back to back to back as I process it in front of you in real time over several shows... What I will likely start doing is kicking off a live stream. Now that I'm back in the studio and I have access to the equipment, I can do that a little bit easier. Not all the time, but when something big's happening, like Trump gets COVID and goes to the hospital, I'm firing up the stream. And then I'll use the weekly release for the more researched, thought-out analysis. The stuff where I've gone to check the sources, I've had some time to think about it, maybe I've discussed it a little bit with the community in the Discord had some processing, took in multiple clips. Then it goes into the release show that gets a number. But when I go live, that'll be sort of the immediate reaction. Sometimes I'll even be collecting clips in real time, pulling in multiple sources. You can see a little bit of my work, actually. And every now and then I may release that as a download, but it's going to be rare. It's going to be the stuff that really matters. That's when it's going to come out as a download. So you can subscribe to the channel at twitch.tv slash unfilter. Or just get in the Discord. The live channel in there announces when I go live. And that's also the chat I talk to when I am live. So it kind of kills two birds with one stone. Unfilter.show slash Discord for that. Or if you just want to watch the stream, 
That's at unfiltered.show slash live. Unfiltered.show slash contact to get a hold of me. Unfiltered.show slash subscribe to get RSS feeds. It's so easy. See you next week. Thank you very much. We may need some faith healers. That's it. <laughs>